What should the what should the intro be? This is Filmmakers Compass Podcast. Just leave it there. Okay. I mean, this is Filmmakers Compass Podcast. That's it. Welcome to Filmmakers Compass Podcast, a home for movie discussion and a movie community. So I'm D-Man, joined by CP. CP, how are you doing today? I am great. To our audience out there, all I have to say is we're back. And I'm not talking about the 1993 animated dinosaur movie from Steven Spielberg. <laughs> we're back, baby. I'm very excited to be podcasting again. It's been a little while. We were on a bit of a break slash hiatus, but we're very excited about the show because today we're going to be introducing a new format. Very excited to uh, kick this off and be podcasting again. And I know because it's a new format, we are also open to feedback. So if you hate it, if you love it, if you think we should add a segment or do something, be sure to shoot us a text or a comment or a DM, whatever. And, uh, we will consider it. Do you have any thoughts about the show going forward? No, I mean, we'll figure it out as we go along. That's what we do best. The big thing is I wanted to say at the top of the show, and I will say it at the end of the show, our release day going forward will be on Tuesdays. Just so everybody knows, this is a weekly show, and it will release every Tuesday. Mark your calendars. <laughs> Boom. Thank you for that one, D-Man. Speaking of the fact that this episode is coming out on Tuesday and 9 o'clock Thursday night, the biggest show in the history of, well, streaming television, or television for that matter, is about to be released, Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. We figured we had to sit here and talk about this monumental achievement. Yeah, well, I mean, I love Lord of the Rings. Grew up loving Lord of the Rings. I read the books. Actually, I think The Hobbit was assigned to me in, like, middle school, <laughs> which... I don't know why this is, but like The Hobbit is actually a much easier read than Lord of the Rings. It's the same guy who wrote it. So like, I don't know what happened. So but, a uh, time between the two books. <laughs> yeah, but like, I don't know. The Lord of the Rings books, they read a little bit more. I guess I'd call it kind of stale. Like it's almost like somebody kind of reporting on the journey of Lord of the Rings. I feel like The Hobbit just flows a little bit smoother. At least it reads better for a middle schooler. I don't know. Did you ever read the books? I did read the books, but unlike you, I actually, I was brought to the books through the movies. So I read them after I was introduced to them by Peter Jackson. Oh, okay. No, I went into the movies having read the books, knowing the stories and the characters and all that. So I kind of knew what to look out for. Say what you will. Maybe uh, it would have been cool to see the movies without having any idea of anything. That might have been a totally different experience. You know, I will say something that always struck me was I remember I was reading The Hobbit. And this is when I was a little bit older. I think I was in high school. And our friend Sean was reading Lord of the Rings. I think it was Fellowship of the Ring. This guy was like speed reading. Have you ever sat next to somebody? They're just doing something that you can't ignore. He's like flipping pages in a book way too fast. I was like, that's impossible. There's no way he read all the words on that page. He claims he did. So well, he, I don't know he also he... lies all the time. So. <laughs> I don't know if he was messing with me or what, but he claims to be a speed reader. I don't know if that's a thing or, or just something that people claim. I mean, this guy, he literally, I'm not even kidding. He's like reading and he's like, flip, flip. I was like, there's no, there's no way. Anyway, Rings of Power. Very excited for the show. Uh, I've heard a lot about it. 
read a lot about who was cast and then what's going on, you know, what they're trying to cover. I saw the trailer. What What's your first impression? I mean, are you excited? Are you a little nervous? Oh, I'm, I'm super excited now. So, I'm so, I have been counting the days. However, when I first saw the trailer, I was very skeptical myself. Lord of the Rings is a big undertaking, and I wanted to make sure that the right people were actually taking control of this property that I really have come to love. I really came around to it when I was at Comic-Con. I think I told you I was lucky enough to be at the Rings of Power panel and sitting there listening to them for an hour and a half, just geek out. I was like, yes, this is going to be amazing. Well, sometimes that helps. That's why, I mean, they have those panels and everything, because obviously you want you always want to believe these properties are in good hands or in the right hands. You know, the most perfect example of that is probably Disney purchasing Star Wars and then coming out with the sequel trilogy. You know, I think people were rightfully so nervous that maybe Star Wars wasn't in the right hands. And it ends up that in that instance, you know, it was true. We didn't get the best sequel trilogy that I think uh, could have been delivered. With Rings of Power, I actually, you know, one of the things that comes up a lot when you're reading about it, comments section and all this stuff, is where is Peter Jackson in all of this, right? I think he has zero involvement, correct? Yeah, there was a great article in the Hollywood Reporter last week, and it said Peter Jackson was ghosted by Lord of the Rings. According to Peter Jackson, he said that Amazon reached out to him, which... It's actually ironic. Actually, New Line Cinema is involved in the production of this series. Interesting. They reached out to Peter Jackson and they said, hey, you know, you did Lord of the Rings. Would you like to be in it? You know, involved. And he said, absolutely. Shoot me a script. And then he said he never got a script. And he followed up. Not a text or anything. Nothing. Just complete silence from those folks at Lord of the Rings. And it's actually ironic because, as I said, I was really sold when I saw the folks come out and the showrunners were talking about their love for the franchise. One of them, I think, I don't remember if it was McKay or Payne. One of them was speaking Elvish. So, like, they know what they're (laughs) getting into. And I was like, good, this is in the right hands of the right nerds. And, and they both talked about their love for the films, but it was kind of ironic. And I didn't realize it till afterwards or I was talking to one of my friends and she pointed out that they talked about their love of the films, but they never gave any credit to Peter Jackson, the visionary filmmaker behind them. Like by name. Yeah. They never said Jackson. They said, oh, we love the movies. You know, we thought the, their movies were great. That's what brought us into Lord of the Rings. But they never said Peter Jackson. They talked about the musical score of the films influencing the television show. They talked about the visual style of films and influencing the television show, but they never mentioned Peter Jackson. Interesting. It's one of those things too, where like, obviously I think the Lord of the Rings trilogy is absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's beautiful to look at, like you said, scores great. We could do like a total rewind on all these great movies. What's interesting to me is Peter Jackson also directed the Hobbit trilogy. And I felt I haven't actually seen all three. I've only seen the first two, which probably how the hell can you call yourself a Lord of the Rings fan? Yeah. That probably says a lot. Are you, are you serious? Yeah. I put on the third one, wow! uh, but I didn't finish it. Wow. So Just going to boot this dude from the show. I'll host him by myself. There's something about the Hobbit trilogy to me that just, it doesn't work. It like feels disjointed. It feels too long. And it was interesting because obviously it's like Sam Raimi making Spider-Man 3 after he made 1 and 2 where you're like, wow, these are so great. And it's Mm -hmm. the same guy, the Mm -hmm. same team. 
I don't think that that is a fair comparison to Peter Jackson. No, I'm not saying. Listen, oh, no, no, no. Spider-Man 3 is trash. But I'm not the saying Hobbit the Hobbit movies is trash. Are good. It's just it's when not... you compare them to Lord of the Rings, they're not great. Yes. But there's nothing redeeming about Spider-Man 3. So it's a bad comparison. <laughs> you are doing a disservice to the Hobbit movies. But I'm just saying we, we, we didn't get like it's not like it was another director and he was just an executive producer. It's like he did both. And I think one of them is best picture worthy fantasy epic. And the other ones were like, cool. It, it's weird because obviously everybody remembers Lord of the Rings. So when it comes to Rings of Power and Peter Jackson's in, influence on the show, it feels like, oh, well, how could he not be included? But at the same time, like maybe it's time for some new people to kind of like inject life into middle earth you know i don't know i don't know if i should even dignify that with a response but let me start <laughs> by saying you don't really know what you're talking about because you've never seen all the hobbit movies so first and foremost like you don't know what you're talking about now I'll they're go not as it. good as lord of the rings but you have to remember that there's a major tonal difference too i mean as you said he's condensing three major books into three long movies that still don't cover enough of the content versus in The Hobbit, where he is expanding a single book into three movies and clearly looking for filler. The other big difference, though, is there is tonal differences between The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Sure. Lord of the Rings was written for a much you know, more adult audience. It's much grander in scale. There's more morality and philosophy and things wound up in, in the text than The Hobbit, which was written for kids, and it's an adventure story. Yeah, so, it, like, It definitely reads that way. Now, the last thing I'm going to say about the Hobbit trilogy is this. There is a stark difference between the theatrically released Hobbit trilogy and the extended edition Hobbit trilogy. Okay, so I got to watch the extended ones. That's what you're saying. Yes. Well, I will watch it, I promise. And here's the thing, too. It's like, I read the book, so I know how it ends. So it's <laughs> it's not like I was like hanging on a thread and I'm like, oh my God, I got to figure, I got to find out what happens. I'm like, well, I know. Mm -hmm. But- What's important to me is that having seen the Comic-Con panel about Rings of Power, you feel confident the show is in the right hands. We'll know once we watch it, but just going into it, you are confident that this will most likely be pretty awesome. I, I think attention was given where attention needed to be given. They talked about going to New Zealand to shoot. Why? Because that's where our first visual taste of Middle Earth was in New Zealand. So like, we got to go back to the source. Talked about drawing inspiration from the films. Bear McCreary, who scored the series, who's an awesome composer, talked about how he looked at what Howard Shore did in the original trilogy. And then he thought, okay, this is happening, you know, 3000 years earlier. Dwarves, elves, men are all in different places. How is the fact that they are in different places, is that going to affect the sounds of the music that they have? I think that the attention was given, you know, the showrunners talked about making kind of an effort to cast Welsh actors mm, because of the fact that so much of Elvish is rooted in the Welsh language. Interesting. I didn't even know that. So for me, I was convinced after seeing it, after watching some of the exclusive clips, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think yeah, it's going I, to feel like a great trip back to Middle Earth. So like one of the things that gave me hesitancy is this is happening on Amazon Prime. So Amazon not being a traditional film studio kind of gave me pause was like, wow, are they really? I'm sure they hired the professionals. They got the right people. But it does make me a little bit nervous when, when you're like, hey, you know, these guys haven't necessarily ever 
done anything on this level. But then Amazon's backing of the show with basically, I think the production budget for this thing was like a billion dollars. It's like the most expensive show ever made. Definitely tells me that they were willing to go the extra mile and make sure that it is amazing. Certainly so, what I think. I mean, remember, Jeff Bezos himself negotiated for the rights to this show. The amount of money that they're putting behind it, we've never seen before. And On top of it, I mean, a billion dollars seems like a lot, but I did did see an article that said that's essentially one in every 35 people's Amazon Prime account is going to fund this show. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's amazing. So that, that well, just goes to show how much money they have, right? <laughs> looking at the trailer then, you can definitely see where that money went. I thought the trailer was absolutely visually beautiful. It looked incredible. And I'm assuming the show when finished and on the screen in HD will be quite impressive. I think what gave me pause is once I viewed the trailer, I wasn't able to really tell you what this is going to be about. Well, I don't so, think they want us to know. I know, but that I guess that's what I'm getting at. And, and like you said, that's true. A lot of trailers tend to be ambiguous on purpose, deliberately. So you're intrigued and you want to check it out. But it's just weird because like, I, I just don't know what, what this show is actually I, about. And the showrunners did talk about this. The second age of Middle Earth is the part of Middle Earth's history that Tolkien writes about the least. That was one of the decisions to kind of tell this story because- we haven't spent a lot of time here. That was one of the things at first that I was really skeptical of. And I was convinced when the showrunners came around and they said, look, we brought on a whole team of Tolkien scholars to guide our writing staff. When we couldn't find the answer in the text, we'd go to the scholars. When we couldn't find the answer in the scholars, we would go to the source material that Tolkien himself said inspired him to write The Lord of the Rings. And they said, between the three things, we thought that we could find this version of the second age of Middle Earth that we don't really know much about. Yeah. And the inspiration you're you're talking about comes from the Similarian. Is that what it's called? Are you talking about the textual stuff? Yeah. Some of it's there. Some of it's in the appendices and, and you know, references from the actual Lord of oh, the okay. Rings. So the entirety of all any yep. sort of reference at all. Okay. Interesting. I mean, that's really the only thing that makes me a little hesitant, but I mean, I'm sold, right? It looks beautiful. I know it's got the budget and the backing that it deserves to be awesome. And I love Lord of the so maybe Amazon's right. Maybe leave it ambiguous. Let everyone know it's Lord of the Rings is back. We'll take it from there one episode at a time. This is actually interesting, but I want to bring it up because of the phenomenon it was. That is Game of Thrones. Obviously, Game of Thrones looks like George R.R. R. Martin definitely had to be somewhat inspired by Lord of the Rings, right? Mm -hmm. But this show was massive. And I only bring it up because I think it was only like a week ago, the first episode of a new Game of Thrones show called House of the Dragon just premiered. Yeah, And so these shows are, they're not going like head to head per se, but they are being released in an overlapping timeline and there will inevitably be comparison. Now, Lord of the Rings, unlike Game of Thrones, probably will not have things like incest and rape and, <laughs> you know, probably like yeah. people giving birth and, you know, like getting ripped open to shreds. So it's weird. I, 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 the only reason I bring it up is because do you think in terms of people's perception of that fantasy genre, if Lord of the Rings doesn't push the boundaries at all, the way Game of Thrones did, do you think people might be a little let down? 
I don't think so. My rationale is this. First of all, we know that Game of Thrones was the justification for Amazon to go out and get the rights to do this, right? Bezos said he wanted something high fantasy. For better or worse, the benchmark against which all high fantasy is measured is Lord of the Rings. So yeah. I think it has the, the the brand recognition for the high fantasy genre. I think that fans are going to accept it for what it is. And it it if it wasn't as <laughs> well constructed as as the Game of Thrones series, I think that it's going to get a pass because there's going to be so many fans that are going to love it and support it. It's just one of those things where like, I, I again, like I said, I, I didn't see the last Hobbit movie and I have not watched Game of Thrones in its entirety which I'm like one of the, probably the only people that has like an HBO subscription that didn't. But <laughs> and Game of Thrones, I mean, they set their own bar so high that my understanding is the final season ended up being somewhat of a letdown for that show. You know, when the bar is as high as the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you know, I'm always just a little bit like, man, can this show really elevate to that level? So we'll see. I hope so. I think the people who have the most to lose are actually the actors. I mean, we have we have people who are playing characters that we have seen in the trilogy played to perfection. Elrond, yeah. Gladriel. Unfortunately, whoever steps into those shoes is at such a disadvantage. It's like whoever, whoever, unfortunately, at some point, Disney cast to be the replacement for Luke Skywalker. Yeah, we've already seen it. We know how it's supposed to be. And that's not it. It's tough. I mean, you know, occasionally someone gets it right. I'd say maybe Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. I thought he was one of the better parts of the prequels. But I mean, they were still able to bring back, I'm trying to think of his name, is it Ian McDermott, the Emperor Palpatine, you know, or Senator Palpatine in the prequels. You know, he they, they cast the same guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> they, they were like, nah, just get him. Like, yeah. Don't recast it. He was just too wicked as the Emperor to just give that up. Plus, I mean, he wasn't a lot of makeup in the league, so there is that. <laughs> True. He looks He looks pretty horrible as the emperor pretty <laughs> yeah. frightening but you know as a, as the actors too i think uh you know a lot of unknowns there's not a lot of huge names you know i think even with game of thrones getting what was his name boromir no is that his sean, name? scene bean <laughs> yeah sean sean bean yeah they got him from lord of the rings to be like the face of the first season of game of thrones and obviously it was based on a book everyone knew where his character arc was going but i guarantee you they brought him in to lend some legitimacy to the no, show think, and to the I genre think you're absolutely right i mean the show was able to thrive once you know i don't want to spoil it but no, you're gonna <laughs> spoil it so don't spoil it <laughs> yeah I mean, the show was able to thrive. So I'm just curious, you know, there's not a big name cast here to necessarily bring that level of professionalism, kind of the way, what's his name? Alec Guinness did it as Obi-Wan Kenobi to A New Hope, or original Star Wars at that time. Really serious, prestigious actor was like, I'll be in. And they're like, thank God. Take this seriously a little bit. And the only difference is, I mean, it's Lord of the Rings. It has a massive fan base. We're going to watch it no matter who they put in the show. Yeah, I knew that. <laughs> here's the last major thing I wanted to get to, which is it's streaming. It's never going to be on the big screen. So are you a little bummed that we're not going to be able to see this in the theater? I went and saw Lord of the Rings in the theater and it was awesome. Well, I mean, yes. However, I did read about something cutting edge that's being done in conjunction with this, which I thought was kind of interesting. So you know that Amazon is teaming up with Samsung Mm -hmm. This is going to be the first distributed 8K series. Oh, wow. No, I didn't know that. 
yeah, they're releasing content exclusively for Samson and they're going to be streaming trailers and things in Times Square and in 8K, which I think is pretty cool because, I mean, that's not been done to my knowledge. Well, for a billion dollars, might as well, right? <laughs> Let's push some limits here. Yeah, I mean, shoot, I don't even know if my TV can display 8K, but... There's just something about the theater experience. For instance, you know, I just went and saw Top Gun for the second time. I mean, sometimes just the big screen and the surround sound just hits in a way that it's like you just cannot get in your living room, you know? I got to tell you, D-Man, that I actually think that's an amazing segue into the other thing I want to talk about this episode. Okay. Do you know what just happened? No. And as of (laughs) last night, when, you know, this episode was released, the night before, the waiting list for MoviePass closed. It's back. MoviePass oh, movie is back. It's back. Interesting. MoviePass was one of those things. I really wanted to see it succeed because I think there's a model there that works. What good is a movie theater that's playing a movie and it's like there's two people in it? Didn't you say you and your brother went to a movie and you were the only two people in the theater? Yeah, Home Alone when they reissued it for the like 20th anniversary, 25th anniversary. Right. I feel like MoviePass, oh my gosh, I have my my issues with the way they went about their strategy. But I love the idea of being able to go see movies as you desire. Like, hey, I feel like going to the movies. Even if, you know, it's a Friday night and I'm like, I'm not really doing anything. Well, more than likely, I'm going to put something on from streaming. But if I had MoviePass, I mean, I would definitely be like, well, maybe I'll go to the movies. That'd be fun. And then you get to see some movies on the big screen, which is always great. Oh, MoviePass. I just, you know a little bit more about it than I do. I just felt they were very combative with theaters when they should have been symbiotic partners. (laughs) Yeah, I think some egos got in the way. Now, what I'm really curious about, I did get the email on Thursday, I think, inviting me to sign up for the waitlist as a former MoviePass user. It didn't give a lot of details about how it's going to be different and what's going to make it work this time. Obviously, they burned through so much cash and they never got to the point that they really had the leverage that they thought they did over the theaters and the analytics data that they wanted to have for the studios. So they just burned through billions of dollars with nothing to show for it because of people like me who went to the movies every day. Now, I don't know what they're doing this time around. Maybe they're limiting it. Maybe it's going to be more expensive. I did read that it looks like there's going to be tiered options, but what does that mean? Who knows? Yeah. And the death knell for them, I remember they ended up, I think they raised prices and then limited the amount of movies you could go see. And so the whole, the whole catch of MoviePass was like, it's like 10 bucks and you can go as many times as you want. Then they're like, it's actually 15 bucks and you can only go twice a month. And everybody was like, well, what yeah. the hell? And then at one point <laughs> they started blocking out certain movies and, and adding on like surge pricing. So yeah, if you actually want to like see Avengers something Endgame. good, yeah, yeah, you have to pay for it. And you're like, well, this is the well, purpose. Yeah, like if I have to pay extra, then I might as well just pay for it. What the hell? I don't know. I'm interested to see how they can kind of solve this problem because the theaters themselves, you know, AMC is pretty big. They're nationwide. I mean, I know they have their own pass that you can get and you get to go see four movies a month or some, whatever it is, you know, and I'm sure it's a good deal, but it was just so interesting because MoviePass really caught fire. I mean, they, they really did kind of became a bit of a phenomenon where it was like, whoa, is this, I think the question everybody asked themselves was like, is this too good to be true? And may, it was, I guess it was. It was, it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, it was um, too good to be true because it, it literally was a deal where everybody was like, I mean, that's the, if that's the deal, that sounds amazing. I don't know. I'd be interested to see if they can get that model to work. And then if they can work with the freaking theaters, man, 
I think it's more unlikely when the Regal Group and the AMC, the two largest theater chains in the United States, both have membership plans now. Why would you give up your your income stream that's working to MoviePass? And so I, that's what I'm curious to see what's going to happen there. Man, they were so close. I just, yeah, I think it was some egos. I remember reading about it and it was like, MoviePass just thought they had this leverage that they were like, the theaters are just going to have to cooperate with what we want to do and the theaters just said no and once they said no movie pass was like oh shit (laughs) like uh well the whole plan is based on you guys like going along with this if you don't then we're screwed and they were it's just such a good model and then you know we've gotten to the point now with the way streaming is that really people only show up to the theaters for either true theater experiences or tentpole movies, you know, obviously Marvel, but just the romantic comedies and some of the simpler fare, there's just not getting a theater audience, but it's doing really great on streaming. So it's not that people don't want to watch those movies. I just don't know if they want to go pay for it when they can get it right at their TV. And something like MoviePass might reinvigorate people to go to the theater. It's still a great date night. Dude, the theater experience is wild now. Like the AMC by us, they have like a full service bar and then the seats recline. It's like yeah. amazing. It's, like, yeah. it's AMC and it's like, I'm like, wow, this is great. And then I went to a theater. It was a dine-in theater over in, in Whittier with Hellison. They literally have like numbers next to your chair and you can like order like, like not restaurant, but like actual food, not just like movie theater food really neat i'm like the theaters have definitely and a whole different conversation but like you know obviously i know covid took its toll but i was like damn the theater experience is pretty great i really yeah. like it remember the old days where you actually had to show up before the previews so you could get a good seat yeah when i went to like midnight show Crazy. premieres uh lord of the rings was one of them i would get there early and be at the front of the line so that when they would open the little gate thing i would run so we could get the best seats in the house and yeah. you had to save them I mean, it was kind of competitive. Like if you didn't bring, like we would bring extra jackets and things so we could put it in the chair because people would take, they'd take your seat. And then, you know, like when you're in high school, you always have friends that are just, they're always going to be late. You're like, dude, you know, this is a midnight show premiere. Side note, you don't even have to go at midnight anymore, which kind of sucks in a way because that was such a novelty. It felt so cool to go to a movie at midnight. It was like awesome. Speaking of midnight shows and the theater experience i do want to tell a story from lord of the rings return of the king really quick i ended up i bought i think 10 tickets for all my friends i think kenny key was there tyler was there schreiber was there all these guys shula and sean gaston who i mentioned earlier really loves lord of the rings and wanted to go but it was a school night and his mom said no so we concocted this plan where i went to his house and he snuck out of his basement window well in bare feet in the snow, uh, Lord of the Rings, they released in, I think, December. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. And so he snuck out and Sean wore shorts in the winter, no matter what. I don't know why. He ran through the snow in his bare feet. And I he had brought with him to school an extra pair of shoes, which we had in my car so that his mom wouldn't see his shoes gone. <laughs> He ended up getting to go. Now, what was even more amazing about this is I had originally been at the theater and saved the seats. And then I waited for our friends to come. And then I left to go get Sean. Well, when I left, I also changed into my Gandalf the Grey costume. So when I walked into the theater, this is the midnight show for Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. I was Gandalf. I had a staff and everything. And I went in front of the theater and I was like, you shall not pass. And then the whole theater clapped. 
It was amazing. Nice, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And then the movie was even better. I yeah, mean, that happened, movie was so amazing. If it happened today, you'd be a huge TikTok star because of it. Yeah, right. I'd go viral. It was pretty <laughs> great, though. That Gandalf costume was awesome. It was actually not that bad. It came with a fake beard and everything. But anyway, guys, that actually uh, does it for our discussion today. We definitely want to say, hopefully you guys are all going to give Rings of Power a chance. We will be discussing it here. So be sure to send us any feedback, comments, texts, you know, whatever. And uh, we are actually going to be engaging a lot more with listeners going forward. So we're going to have shout outs at the top of the show. We're going to be definitely responding on social media. So be sure to follow the show at Filmmakers Compass Podcast. And you can uh, filmmakerscompass.com. All the social links are there. Be sure to follow our pages. I am at Big Kid Demon, CP. I am at NDCal5. Keep the conversation going. We love movies. We're going to be watching a ton of movies in addition to the discussions we'll have on each episode. And uh, we will be discussing movies as well. So I'm we're bringing so- back the guests. We we haven't had a guest on the show in far too long and they're going to be coming back now. So it's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. So I'm super psyched. We have so many topics coming up. So many things I want to talk about that are just so much fun. So I can't wait. It's going to be great. Are we having an out? How are we doing this? It's a different show. I mean, okay. I don't know. We'll, we'll come up with them. Uh, <laughs> we'll we, we, need them. A, we need a fancy catchphrase for that one. So watch Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, and uh, get on Twitter and tell us what you think.